Good evening, church. I'll wait till everybody sits down. It was proper good evening. Try it one more time. Good evening, church. Much better. You know how they say people can hear your smile when you talk on the phone? Well, I can see you not smiling, so give me some smiles here. Um, By the way, uh, Pastor Izzy, thank you for Sunday. What a powerful time in the Lord. We're grateful for you and the rest of our team. And I just want to say, and I'll say this again on Sunday, but uh, thank you so much to everyone who took the time to write a card or give a a gift or a gift card or just all the little gestures. Uh, It absolutely means the world to the pastoral staff. We are very, very grateful. Not that we need it, but we do appreciate it. Um, Everybody likes to hear they're doing a great job. Everyone likes to have a pat on the back every now and then. And uh, the truth is, pastoring is not the easiest thing to do in the world, but it is one of the most rewarding things to do. We love you greatly. We pray for you uh, every day. We, We yearn for God to move in your lives. And so every now and then to hear, hey, we like you too. That's nice to hear, right? Like, my wife knows I love her, but how many know? She likes to hear it from time to time. And so from time to time, if you can, you know, pat your pastor on the back and let them know you appreciate them. Uh, you never know. And just, I don't know if this has happened, but sometimes it is very much divine. You might go up and just a simple compliment, and you have no idea how much that might mean to that individual in that moment. And I have had those such moments where, at just the right time, somebody said just the right word that kept me going and kept me moving forward in the things that God has called me to do. And so uh, don't hesitate to do that. Don't wait for the one time a year where it's Pastor's Appreciation Month. If, if God placed it on your heart, then just step out of faith and share it. it could, again, it could be simple things, uh, just a handshake or a hug or, hey, I appreciate you. And it goes a long way. So just wanted to share that real quick. Uh, we got uh, a lot going on this whole fall and... Um, we call it this weekend our jam-packed weekend because there's a lot happening this weekend. For all the ladies in the house, we got our uh, ladies getting together Friday night. There it is. We got all the supplies locked and loaded. Uh, can we tell them what they're painting? Pastor Ari, are you in the room? Can we, can we tell them? In general, I won't tell them specific. but Because people keep asking me, like, what are we going to paint? And, and I offered to model. I offered to stand there. And they just said, no, people just keep drawing circles and it would look like a pumpkin patch scene. And I told Pastor Ariel that was rude of her to say that. Not nice, Pastor Ariel. Um, But uh, I think what we're going to do is there's going to be a a scripture or a word, and we just want you to draw what that means to you, just what that interpretation is. So the beauty of interpretation is it can be hideous, but it looks great to you. Like, who cares? And if, listen, if you're worried about, well, I can't draw, listen, we're, we're in fall. Put your hand on that thing, trace it, and make a turkey. When in doubt, make a turkey. Everyone loves turkeys. So we got that going. And then uh, Sunday, we have our newcomers lunch. Please be praying for our newcomers lunch. We uh, This is an opportunity. Honestly, no strings attached. I know people say there's no such thing as a free lunch. This is one of those such things. And so why we do that is with, with new people coming into the church and, and getting acclimated, we want to take some time to sit down with all of them. I can't go out to lunch with everybody. That's not healthy. It's not appropriate. It's not feasible. But if we can gather everybody in the room and provide a meal and an opportunity to get to know people that are new to our church and let them feel welcome and loved, we want to make sure that we can do that. So please be praying for that. And if you're newer to the church and you didn't go to our last newcomer's lunch, this is a great opportunity to show up on this one. Uh, And then uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is 
on Saturday, we got our trunk and treat, which is uh, our parking lot is going to be filled. We have thousands of candy, literally thousands of dollars worth of candy, and uh, we have several cars. And just to give you an idea, if you don't know what it's like, the cars, they, it's called trunk and treat because the cars open up their trunk, and they're all decorated. Everyone has a different theme. And as a matter of fact, all the themes, if you follow along, tell the gospel message. And so it starts from the Garden of Eden all the way to the resurrection. And so you get the gospel message in really cool, fun ways. And so I know like the Garden of Eden, where's Haley? The butterfly exhibit, she's there with, with her butterflies. And uh, you got, you know, uh, Noah's Ark and all the cool little stuffed animals. And then we invite all these families and children to come out in a safe space and give them candy. They get gospel tracks. They scan the little QR code and they get a video where they can read the or see the gospel message. Really, really cool opportunity to reach out to our community. And what makes me laugh with that event is it never fails. Every time we put that event, somebody wants to criticize about it. And it's usually somebody that doesn't even go to our church. So this year, we had a random Google troll who gave us a one-star review or a zero-star review or something low and was like, this church fought on witchcraft. And they went to this whole rant. Never been to our church. And if you, I looked at her Google theme, everybody's got a one-star on her theme. I think she just feels very empowered by giving everyone one-stars. And they're like the pettiest things. They didn't look at me in the eye when I went into the restaurant. One-star. And I was like, wow, you're that person. And so I didn't, I wasn't offended. I didn't care. I'm like, your opinion doesn't matter to me because... Your opinion doesn't matter to anybody you're commenting on. But it does make me laugh how strongly people feel when it comes to Halloween, when it comes to do you celebrate, do you not celebrate. Some of us grew up in backgrounds. I grew up in a background where I couldn't even look out the window. It's like, get out the window, stay over here. And so I just remember sitting there all fat and hungry, wishing I had a, a Kit Kat and not being even a, I, one year I snuck away to my cousin's house and he had a spare Donald Duck costume and I put my Donald Duck costume and he lived in the suburbs so they gave like full candy bars and that lasted my whole childhood. That's all I ever got. And so uh, I know some of us grew up in that background and listen, I'm not, I'm not going to be mad at you if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to go out there and that's, that's a decision and a conviction that you have and that's fine. Um, you know, I know for me though, the way I've always looked at it, is this is a wonderful opportunity for outreach, and not even outreach. They're coming to you. Like, I think about it in the neighborhood. These are families that we don't ever really talk to. That It's not like back in the day where all the communities got together and you knew all your neighbors. We are so isolated today that we don't know anyone around us. And now they're actually knocking on your door to say hi to you. And so I remember me and my wife, we... Nobody comes down our block anymore anyways, but we used to have, she would sit down for hours and write out these scriptures on these cards, and every kid got a scripture card and a message from her with the little candy. Oh, we gave good candy too. And they'd open the door, and they'd each get a little track. And so my thing was, you're going to knock on my door, you're going to find out about Jesus. That's going to happen, especially Jehovah Witnesses. I love to sit on the porch with them. They get real frustrated when they find out you read your Bible. And so we would take this opportunity to say, hey, listen, I want to reach out. And let me kind of give you some context behind why I feel that way. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you see the attitude of Paul when it comes to reaching people. Listen, our goal as a church is not to entertain the faithful. We're not here for that. This isn't Christian karaoke. This isn't a concert for you. This isn't me, you know, saying something nice to make you get butterflies. Go. Our goal as a church is to reach the lost, is it not? Amen? I hope it's an amen, right? Our goal as a church 
is to seek and to save that which is lost, to go out and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to minister, to love on, to reach the lost, to disciple them so that they can grow up and reach the lost. That's the goal. So when we grow the church, what we're doing is we are growing it with the lost. Now, sometimes you grow churches with other Christians, but listen, I don't want to... I don't want to get other Christians. I don't want other people from other churches. Not that I'll deny them, but sometimes you get other Christians with other baggage. Like you got kicked out of your church because you were crazy and now you're bringing the crazy here. Like I want us to reach the lost. I want us to build and disciple and to love on people who are dying and going to hell unless they receive the gospel message. That is what we are equipped to do. That is what we are called to do. The great commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen. So, that being said, you will never accomplish that if you don't have a heart for that. If you don't have a heart for the lost, if you don't care whether your neighbor goes to heaven or hell, if you don't care whether your unsafe family members or the little kid that's walking down the street and knocking on your door for candy, if you don't care whether they go to heaven or hell, then you will never do anything about whether they go to heaven or hell. But Paul cared. Paul cared deeply. As a matter of fact, Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he's saying this, uh, kind of uh, addressing some of the critics in the room. He goes in verse 19, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew uh, to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who would follow Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. Okay, so what is he saying? Jewish people had to follow very strict mandates that were in accordance with the law given to them in the Torah. They had to follow everything to the T. Paul is saying, listen, I no longer live under the law because I have been saved by grace. I am not required to follow all of those rules and regulations. But you know what? When I'm with them, I will. Why? For the opportunity to reach them. And then he goes on to say, when I'm with the Gentiles, Gentiles is anybody who wasn't a Jew, who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. So what is he saying? When I'm with people who are not Jewish, then I don't, you know, continue to succumb to the Jewish law, nor do I make them do it, but... I'm also not living crazy, right? He's like, yes, just because I'm not under the law doesn't mean I get to do all the crazy stuff that some of these Gentiles are doing. I am still obligated to the law of Christ, but for the sake of reaching them, I want to make sure that I can eliminate any barriers that might come in. And then it says, when I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. One of the things, if, you've, if you know me personally, you'll know that I am, I consider myself very well-rounded and not in, in that way, Pastor Ariel. I, I consider myself, she's very nice. She's actually mortified that I keep saying she's saying mean things. She would never say mean things. Dottie, on the other hand. <laughs> so um, I, I'm well-rounded in the sense that I like to know just enough about as many things as possible. Enough to have some sort of conversation with you. So if you're into soccer or if you're into pottery or if you're into, like, I like to know just enough to have somewhat of a connection with you. 
And I know a lot about, I know a little bit about a lot of things, right? Just a little bit about a lot of things, enough to where when I'm talking to somebody, I'm looking for a point of connection. What are you into? How did you grow up? What did you, or, oh, and then I find that little connection. Oh, I really like to travel. I love to travel. Where have you been? And then we just start talking. And anytime I have that opportunity, it's an in with a stranger. If you can find any kind of commonality, it opens the door for the gospel to be presented. Most of the time, the reason we don't make connections with people is because we don't look for ways to connect. What Paul is saying is, listen, my mission is to go out there and preach the gospel. So what does that mean? I got to find connections. I got to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can. Why? So that I can save them. I do everything to spread the good news and sharing its blessings. So let's look at the three categories of people that he mentions in just three of these verses. The first one he talks about is the Jews. I want to talk to you about reaching other religions. Reaching other religions. I loved having the hospitals. How many were blessed by the hospitals, our missionaries, that last week? Man, if you didn't get a chance to go to the workshop that they had, it was a two and a half hour workshop on Muslim culture and, and how to reach the Muslim community. It was insanely powerful. But I want to talk to you about reaching other religions because here's what I often find, and, and this is just my observation. We reach the lost, and we, and we reach other believers. And listen, don't get me wrong. I know y'all have done this, where you sit down at work, and you look for somebody else. You find out they're a Christian, and you say things like, you should go to my church. And it's like, well, why, why are you inviting them to? Let them go to their church. That's fine. Like, I'm... I'm not saying, but that's, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's easy. You're, you're just, you're like, I evangelized today. No, you didn't. You preached to an already reached Christian. That's not evangelism. That's stealing. Like, you're just taking somebody else's sheep from their pen. Okay, so that's not what I'm talking about. But that's what we do is we go and we talk to people who are already saved. And here's also what we do. We might even talk to an unbeliever and try to talk to them about the gospel. But you know what often I think we do? We avoid people who have strong religious beliefs, even though those religious beliefs are lies. So they might be Jewish, they might be Muslim, they might be a different religion that's kind of, sort of like Christianity, but way off. And because they're pious, because they're, they're deep-rooted in that faith, we say things to ourselves like, well, they have their faith. But their faith is still leading them to hell. You know, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago with the whole issue between Gaza and Israel and all this stuff. And the reality is, they're all going to hell if they don't know Jesus. And so the only saving grace for the Middle East is Jesus Christ, bar none. That is the only hope of the world. But for some reason, when someone has another religion that is not the true faith of Jesus Christ, we kind of step back. I think partly we're intimidated because we don't know enough about what they believe. We're intimidated because maybe we don't know enough about what we believe. And so we don't approach them. But I love what Paul says. No, no. When I'm with the Jew, I'm like the Jews. I'm like, I'm with you. I'm, I, that's absolutely. And I get that even like when I was in Israel, when I went into the, the Wailing Wall and, and went to pray at the Western Wall, part of the rules there is you have to wear a kippah or, you know, like a yarmulke, like a little thing that covers your head. It could be a, I had a Bass Pro hat, a Rock the Bass Pro hat at the Wailing Wall, or it can be a kippah, whatever. You have to have a head covering. Now, legally, do I need to wear a head covering? No. But it would have been solely disrespectful to the group there if I walked in there with a head covering. They also had a men's side and a woman's side. Now, we all sit together. But culturally in that moment, if I was ever going to reach them, I can't go to the woman's side. 
I had to be honoring and respectful of where they were. Same thing that the hospitals told us about the Muslim communities. There were certain things that they had to follow. When they were in Pakistan, she had to wear a head covering. Now, by law and in, in our faith, do we need to wear head coverings? No. But if she was going to be successful at reaching the women in that community, she had to wear the head covering. It's a small price to pay for such a powerful thing to gain. And so Paul is saying, listen, I don't have to live under the law anymore, but for the sake of winning these folks, I'm going to be respectful of that. And so listen, I understand, let's go with the Muslim community. We have a mosque down the street. If we're ever going to reach anybody in that thing, if we're going to reach anyone in that community, I have to understand the culture a little bit. I have to have an understanding of that. I mean, I have to understand I can't just walk up to a single woman and start talking to her about Jesus. That's just not going to work. And at the same time, if, if I get an invitation in their home, there's certain protocols that I need to be willing to follow. Most of, the, of those cultures, most Eastern cultures, you got to take your shoes off. So I'm going to wear my good socks if I go to that house. Not the church ones, you know, the holy ones. I'm going to wear the good ones, the fresh out the pack. But I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be like, dude, I ain't going to take my shoes off. No, I'm in your home. I'm going to follow those rules. As long as it doesn't violate the law of Christ, I got to be willing to take the extra step. Listen, in Acts chapter 16, verse 1 through 3, it says, Paul went first to Deborah, uh, then to Lystra, where he, was a young, where he met a young disciple named Timothy. His mother, Timothy's mother, was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews in the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Again, in Jewish culture, in order to be a true Jew, in order to be set apart and holy, the males had to be circumcised. Now, don't misunderstand the scripture. Paul was staunchly against forcing Christians to get circumcised. There's a whole group of Jewish believers that came to Christ who started trying to mandate on all these grown men, well, if you're going to be one of us, you got to go get circumcised. And Paul wrote, he literally wrote letters where he's like, no, you don't. I, those people need to stop selling those lies. You are not. Circumcision of the body doesn't matter. It's the circumcision of the heart. That's what makes you holy. And he goes on it and, and several times. And not even other followers. He had other followers like Titus that he did not require to get circumcised. But in this situation, Timothy is considered a Jew because his mother was Jewish, but he was considered an apostate Jew, meaning not a real Jew, because his father was Greek and he wasn't circumcised. So what does Paul do? Listen, if we're going to have an in with the Jewish community to reach them, this is what you're going to have to do. It's not, it's not what you have to do by law in order to get to heaven. It doesn't mean anything of that. But I, I got to, again, not to be crude, but man, Timothy had to be really bought in to the mission that God gave him to get circumcised as a young man. That's, that's another level to say, listen, I'm, I'm a grown adult. It's not like they had scalpels. My brother's using a flintstone to do this procedure. But he realized, listen, if this is the end for me to be able to reach this community, and he did it. Listen, <laughs> some of us, we, we won't do the smallest of things because of inconvenience. And yet God is saying, hey, would you step out of your inconvenience? Would you step out of your comfort to go and talk to these individuals about me? To go and reach people of other religions and other faiths who are still dying and going to hell because they don't know the one true God. The second thing that I noticed is he reaches 
the Jews and then he talks about the Gentiles or I'm going to call it reaching the nuns, N-O-N-E. So there's a lot of surveys that have gone out and they've recategorized a group of individuals that, that are not necessarily atheists. They, they're categorized as none. They just don't believe in anything. They don't aspire to anything. Well, you're atheist. I'm nothing. Like God or no God, that's irrelevant to me. And so the group of nuns is actually one of the fastest growing groups among all those demographics. Christians, Muslim, uh, Judaism, all that. The nun is one of the fastest growing group. It's a disillusionment with organized religion as a whole. And so how are we going to reach those who have zero faith whatsoever? Who have no connection to God? And, and we, we approach them with things like, well, the Bible says they don't believe in that. They don't care what you say the Bible says. And so here's the problem oftentimes with reaching those in that category. And some of us are so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. You don't even know how to connect with another human being anymore. And again, I like what Paul says. He says, listen, when I was reaching them, I didn't follow the law. But that doesn't mean that I was lawless. I, I, I obeyed the law of Christ. I just didn't follow all these rules and regulations and stipulations that really don't get you to heaven. And this is the problem sometimes with us as Christians is we grow up with these normatives or these cultural preferences and we think, well, if you don't follow that and we make it hard for people to come to faith because we set barriers that Jesus Christ never meant for any of us to set. There was a famous uh, tattoo artist that recently got saved and uh, she was on all these tattoo shows and you might have heard of her or seen it online and uh, she, she posted her baptism. It was a really beautiful video and uh, she even went so far as to black out a lot of the tattoos that she felt represented her past in a way that she didn't want to be reminded of. And so, you know, there's this powerful moment and the sad part, this always upsets me. She goes, it's the Christians that are giving me the hardest time. It's not unbelievers. It's not my fans. It's not the people who used to follow me. They respect the choice that I've made. It's the Christians that are telling me what I'm doing is still not good enough and where I'm at is not good enough. And that breaks my heart. Even more than breaks my heart, it enrages me. Like if I ever, and again, God will give me grace with this, but I ever find out that somebody walked away from the Lord because you made Christianity too difficult for them, it'll really upset me with you. We're not here to make mandates. That's the Lord. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction. It bothers you so much, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bring that conviction. But you are not the author of conviction. You are not the one that comes up and tells them your dress is too short or your hairstyle is this or you're, you're talking to too many girls. No, no, no. Pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would move. And when we're reaching the lost, like, you know, it's, it makes me laugh. Sometimes when I'm when unbelievers and we're, let's say uh, the other day I was at the barbershop and all the guys are talking and one guy's talking a lot and my barber's like, hey, hey, I want to introduce you real quick. I've been this is my pastor. And he's like, oh, you've been letting me cuss in front of him the whole time and Man, I'm sorry, Pastor. And I'm like, it's fine. Now, is it fine to cuss? I don't think it's fine to cuss. But what I'm trying to say is, hey, I just want to know who you are. And if who you are cusses, am I going to allow myself to be so offended that I won't talk to you? Now, if you're cussing me out, it's a different situation. You're just cussing? Okay. It's not like I haven't heard that word before. But I got a word for you, too. And if I'm going to let the bad words coming out of your mouth stop the good words from coming out of my mouth, then he beat me. All right, listen, Acts chapter 10, verse 28 through 29. This is the story of Peter. Now, Peter is a, is a strong, faithful Jew. But he's also 
essentially the leader of the Israelites. He's the, the pastor of the first church. He's, Peter's got great responsibility. And one day, uh, God sends a, a vision to a, a, a Roman soldier in Caesarea. And he tells them, hey, I need you to call for this guy named Peter. He's got a message for you. Now, again, a centurion, a Roman soldier, these are unbelievers, although the Bible tells us that he was God-fearing, meaning all this interaction that he's had under the people that they were oppressing in the Jews, some of it's rubbed off on him. And he began to pray to a monotheistic God, just one God. You know, the Romans had several gods. And so now for some reason he prays to one God. He's short of being a Jew, but he's, he's kind of inching closer to faith. And so in this moment, God sends uh, an angel to talk to him. And here, I, by the way, this isn't, I just thought this was fascinating. God sends an angel to tell him to call for Peter to bring the gospel. Think about that for a moment. God went through all this trouble to send an angel not to preach the gospel, but to tell him there's a man who's going to give you the gospel. In other words, God trusts you with the gospel more than the angels right now. God is giving you the authority to preach the gospels, not the angels. And so here he calls him over. Now, here's the problem. According to Jewish culture, Peter's not allowed to go to his house. Peter's not allowed to step foot in an unbeliever Gentile's home. It is against the law of Israel. They cannot do it. But listen to what happens in verse 28. Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I am no longer to think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. See, the Lord sent an angel to talk to him, but he sent a vision to get a hold of Peter. And in this vision, Peter sees this giant white cloth held on four corners being laid down. And, and there's all these animals on it. The Bible tells us Peter was hungry. And suddenly God gives him a vision of food. But these animals weren't all kosher. It had animals that, according to Jewish law, they weren't allowed to eat. And the, in the vision, the Lord tells them, now kill and eat that. And Paul, uh, Peter goes, no, I won't. Which is so funny how many times Peter just tries to correct God. No, I won't do that. I would never defile myself. And what does the Lord say? Don't call unclean what I have called clean. Go and do it. He received a vision, and then when he got the notice at his door that he was being summoned to Cornelius' house, the Roman centurion, he literally steps out and immediately goes down. And then I want you to notice, he's having these conversations with them. And in verse 44, after he's been preaching the gospel, it says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message, the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. The man didn't even start the altar call yet. He was mid-sermon and the Holy Spirit fell upon the house. And all these unbelievers were poured out with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Before they were even baptized in water, they were baptized in the Spirit. And the people were amazed. Why? these are Gentiles. We always thought that God was only going to come for us. But this is the first time we see the Gentile people filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, don't call unclean what God has called clean. You know, one of the issues I have sometimes when we're praying for the lost, here's what we do. And again, I just think it's natural because I've done it. We decide on probability's sake, who is more likely to say yes to us if we talk to them about Jesus? 
we look, we kind of judge, we make assumptions, and based on our assessment, determines whether or not we go and share with them. Well, you know, this guy looks a little rough around the edges. He probably, he'll probably, you know, tell me to go pound sand or something. I just, I don't, he's going to be me. I'm not going to talk to him. That guy, he's, he's kind of lonely. He looks like he's hurting in life. He looks like there's some wounds. That's, that's yeah, he's the one I'm going to reach. And the truth is, everybody is going to hell without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We don't get to determine who would say yes and who wouldn't. We just scatter the seed. And you let it fall where it falls, but you scatter the seed. So please avoid the temptation to judge on who is going to listen to your gospel message and just preach. Just tell your story. Just open a door. Look for common ground. Make a connection. Don't be intimidated by their tattoos or their language or their behavior or their demeanor or how they interact or what you've heard about them. Because like it or not, weren't most of us like that at one point or another too? And somebody looked past all your rough edges to see the beautiful thing that God sees in you and was willing to pull it out of you. As a matter of fact, some of you who had those rough edges, you have a greater capability to reach those who looked like you, who acted like you. Because sometimes people will only hear it from somebody who's gone through it. And so you're able to speak into their life in a way that no one else may ever be able to speak. And that's why God has divinely set that appointment for you and that individual. And the last thing was reaching the weak. Well, what is that? The people in need. The people who are hurting. Listen, it's so easy for us. I mean, and again, I don't want to get on a soapbox here. But like it or not, no matter what your current financial situation is, if you compare it to the rest of the world, we're good. We're good. Everybody, we are, everybody's got clothes on. We're in a warm building. Most of us got food in our belly. Like we, we're, we're good when it comes to basic necessities, especially when you consider that the rest of the world lives on less than $2 a day. We're rich in a rich nation. And sometimes that makes us comfortable. So comfortable that we ignore the needs around us, those that are weak. Listen, Romans chapter 15, verse 1 through 6 says this, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about the things like this. We must not please ourselves. We should help others and do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled, may God who gives the patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're in a strong position to help those who are in a weak position. And so we should. Listen, next week, my calendar's right, next Wednesday, Pack and pray, uh, I'm totally off on my calendar, yes. So next Wednesday, just to give you a heads up, next Wednesday, we are going to re, uh, move all these chairs. We're going to have almost 30 pallets of food covering everything, and we're going to take time to pack all these things up into thousands of grocery bags that we are then going to pray for and distribute this next Saturday. Now, if as I was saying that, you started thinking, 
Well, I ain't coming next Wednesday. Then you're missing the point that I'm saying right now. We who are strong have an obligation to those that are weak. I don't know if, I bet you some of us in this room know what it's like to not be sure where the food's going to come from in the next week. How we're going to pay for the groceries. How we're going to feed our kids. And by God's grace, many of you have come out of that. But there's still people, well, we're just giving out like Pop-Tarts and cereal. Man, you know what my parents used to say when I would say no to any kind of food? No tienes hambre. And that's why I'm fat. They're like, anytime I'd be like, oh, I don't eat that. Well, then you're not hungry. If you don't want to eat this, and I trust me, hungry people are not picky people. And, and good parents, they know how to stretch that Pop-Tart into three, four different meals. But we have an opportunity. And if you served with us last year when we did this, oh, my gosh. The face of the person receiving that back without even looking in it. And as they look back at you with this unbelievable gratitude of saying, thank you for thinking of me. And we don't do this to, to feel pompous and look how I did. I helped this poor individual. It's the heart of God to serve those who are weaker, who are in circumstances where they need help. Is this one pallet or one truck of food going to solve all their issues and figure out how they're going to? No, but you know what? It's a gesture of love. It's an opportunity to serve. And if you've noticed, this is something we're trying to make sure that we get all of you to be more involved in because we don't want you to just sit here and watch. We want you to participate in the move of God through this church. And so that means, listen, this Saturday, trunk or treat, we need you to help. Pastor Jason, if you can give me a hand. We need you to help. How? Show up. Bring your neighbor's kids. I mean, ask for permission. Don't kidnap them. But bring children. Bring kids. Invite your friends. Invite your neighbors. And listen, even if you're still, hey, I respect Pastor Joey that you guys want to do that. I'm just uncomfortable with it. Again, I'll respect that. Then do me a favor. In your home, during that time, get on your knees and pray for the kids that are walking through. Are you against that? <laughs> if, if your heart is for what our heart is for, reaching these children. And listen, we have families in this church who have come because their kids came to one of our children's events. And now the whole family is in this church. We have uh, families that are here because their teenagers came to one of our teenagers' events. And the whole family is here. We believe in the next generation because we believe if you can reach a kid, you can reach a whole household. And so that's why we do things like this. Now listen, are, are we celebrating the devil? No. In the same way that, that every person who gives out Christmas presents on Christmas isn't celebrating Jesus. Just, and we're, we're not celebrating the demonic. I'm not telling you go watch horror movies and, and dress up disgusting or, or you know, inappropriate or, or do things like that. We are taking an opportunity because here's what I believe. I'm not giving the devil even one day. Because my Bible says that this is the day that the Lord has made. That all the days belong to the Lord. Every single one of them belong to him. And my God is a redeeming God. Meaning anything that the world has tried to take, he can redeem that right back. And so when the world seems the darkest, we the light need to be outside. Shining the light where it needs it the most. Being who God called us to be. I don't like the idea of hiding in my house when the enemy is outside. Because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. So I'm going to give out bigger candy bars than the devil does. I'm going to make eye contact with that mother, that single mom who brings all her kids. And I'm going to say, have you met our children's pastor? Have you met sister so-and-so? I think she's been where you've been. I think she could talk to you about some of these things. 
that, that man who's juggling the three babies, I'm going to come up to him with my baby. Hey, what's your kid's name? This is Luca. Man, how old is he? That's awesome. What's it like being a dad? How's that changed you? I'm just going to have opportunities to have conversations because they're just walking through my parking lot. And in the same way you knock on my door, you're going to hear Jesus. You step on my parking lot, you're going to know about my Lord. And all I'm asking is, will you help me be a part of that? Will you be the hands and feet that Jesus called us to be? And even before we set up, we need to pray. So would you stand? Man, I just want to pray for divine appointments. I want to pray that God will stir the heart. You know, we've, we've posted this event on, on all different community Facebook pages in Belmont Cragen neighborhood. Would you help us to pray? Stir the heart. I, I want to pray that, that some kid would hear about it and nag their mom and dad to come. I want to pray that, that somebody who, who maybe backslid, but they heard about it, is going to bring their kids and they're going to reconnect. I want to pray that God would move in such a powerful and, and just real way. And listen, some of the change may not be immediate. We might be planting a seed on Saturday that may not bear fruit until 10, 15 years from now. But it'll never bear fruit if you never plant the seed. So come on, church, right where you're at, would you just begin to pray? I want you to begin to pray for the lost. I want you to begin to pray for those children that are going to step on that seat. I want you to pray for the volunteers that are given of their time that are given of their space. I want you to pray for us as we show up. Pray that God would give us divine opportunities to have wonderful conversations with people as they step on our parking lot. Come on, begin to lift up your voice. Begin to cry out to the Lord.